0: Hello and welcome to the Energy Aspects podcast. With 2016's tempered growth set to cheer up a little bit as we enter 2017, what can we expect from an economic perspective for the rest of the year ahead? And what does this mean for oil demand? Analysts Mikal Madan, Rudo Rashid and Sam Alderson chose the book Brave New World as the tribute title for their chapter. Referencing Huxley's work with the quote, And of course, stability isn't nearly as spectacular as instability. It's clear that the political landscape will continue to influence the economic picture. But why is this relevant for oil demand? Michal Madan explains...
1: 2016 was a year for the oil market that was very much focused on supplies, the oversupply and how it impacts prices. And behind that, demand actually exceeded expectations uh, and did very, very well in large part because of low oil prices, especially in the first quarter of the year, where prices were low enough to incentivize lots of driving in lots of OECD and Asian countries around the world. This year, when we're seeing supplies starting to fall on, from the OPEC cut and from non-OPEC production declines, demand is still going to remain quite resilient. Consensus expectation from the IMF and the World Bank is for global GDP growth to recover and surpass 2016. That's in part economies exiting recession, the US, Brazil, Russia, uh, a number of economies just faring better. And a shift from monetary policies that now seem to have run their course towards fiscal expansion, which basically translates into more roads, bridges, and highways being laid and built. But against this backdrop of increased economic activity globally, we are still of the view that global oil demand growth will grow at a more modest pace than last year. Last year, as we mentioned, low oil prices did their bit at the beginning of the year, and this year, higher oil prices will similarly have an impact towards the end of the year. Within this outlook, weather, of course, is is a big factor, and the cold winter that we're seeing now in in large parts of Europe, and the Mediterranean and in North Asia, could be supportive of global oil demand growth and lift it higher than the 1.3 1.4 million barrels per day that we currently foresee. But beyond weather, there are substantial downside risks related to policy, global politics, and global economic management.
0: So, despite a brighter picture, downside risks abound. One way this is playing out is in the shift towards higher spending to drive growth. Ridoy tells us more about why fiscal policy is the new in vogue economic style.
2: We are seeing a broader shift towards fiscal policy as monetary policy breaches its limits in a lot of major global economies. Uh, In particular, the type of fiscal policy is a shift towards infrastructure investment to drive growth and infrastructure investment should have a positive impact on commodities markets in particular for distillate demand as it rises on higher diesel use in construction mining and manufacturing activities and we're seeing this across several economies including the US where Donald Trump has prioritized tax cuts and an infrastructure package for his first 100 days in office. We're also seeing it in the UK, where the Chancellor Philip Hammond gave an indication recently of looser fiscal rules this year. Also in Japan, we're seeing negative interest rates already, but now we're shifting towards fiscal policy in terms of a large package on infrastructure spending and other stimulus measures as well. So while in general fiscal policy is Supportive for the global economy, the potential impact on economic activity may be limited and skewed to the downside by increasing uncertainties in major economies, including the US, Europe, China, and India.
0: So it's a mixed picture, full of potential, but also full of huge uncertainty. Let's delve into a few of the examples we've been given, starting with the one that's been grabbing all the headlines recently the US.
3: Despite its ups and downs in 2016, the US economy looks likely to be one of the key driving factors of an improved global picture in 2017. A reduced drag from inventory cycle and more positive investment outlook, given the recovery in oil prices, will help to boost US GDP growth in, in 2017. That could even Surprise the upside with fiscal stimulus coming from the new president pushing higher consumer side of the economy given tax cuts and whilst lagged infrastructure investment could begin to feed into economic activity later on in the year however there are obviously downsides going forward the chance that much of this infrastructure investment relies heavily on government borrowing and the inflationary impact on the economy that's already Well, through its recovery stages, place more pressure on interest rates so we could see faster rate rises through 2017, 2018. And that will begin to stem economic activity in the private sector come 2018, 2019.
0: So ignoring the political uncertainties, the US looks brighter economically for 2017, before being loaded down with increasing downside risks from 2018 onwards. But what about Europe?
3: Whilst the US story in advanced economies look stronger, Europe remains one of of some weakness and actually 2017 could look weaker than it did in 2016. We still have the fallout from Brexit and um, in particular a timeline for the UK to start negotiations on what the outlook post-UK leaving the European will look like from March this year. And then we have a more general rise in populism across the across the continent, and in particular nationalist threats in France and the possibility of an election victory for Marine Le Pen, which would send shockwaves across the continent. There's also you know the continued fallout from Matteo Renzi's resignation at the end of last year, and in particular the Italian banking sector and trying to, you know, continue to fix and reform some of the issues to the face there, plus the likelihood of elections in Italy, and again, populist movements in the form of the Five Star Movement. We could also see Greece re-enter the fold in 2017. As part of the deal set two years ago now, Greece should be aiming for a 3.5% primary surplus in 2018. Obviously, that doesn't look all that achievable. Various tranches of a bailout need to be agreed next year. And so there will be this balance between debt relief, which is obviously going into a German election, going to be not politically all that appealing, but also at the IMS participation in any bailout programme, they, they think a lower 1.5% target would be achievable, which will further pressure on Greek politics and more broadly European politics.
0: Now we move a little further east of Suez, towards China and India, the demand growth stalwarts of 2016. Ridoy and Mikal highlight what we can expect for oil demand here in the year ahead.
2: India was the key centre for demand growth in 2016. That was despite the implementation of demonetisation, which involved the removal of the 1,000 rupee notes from circulation. Now, that will have an impact on oil demand growth this year this is mainly because 80% of people in India are paid in cash and work in the, what's called the informal sector. So since demonetization has caused massive queues at petrol stations and worker layoffs, and for that reason we think that this will have an impact on, on oil demand growth in India this year, but mainly that will be felt through the first half of the year, whilst it, through the second half of 2017, there'll be a limited impact as the initial shock of demonetisation peters out. For that reason, across 2017, we've revised our Indian demand growth forecast down slightly from around 400,000 barrels a day to not much more than 300,000 barrels a day. But those levels are still massive and India will remain as one of the major demand growth centres this year.
1: China came in a strong second behind India in 2016 in terms of oil demand growth and will remain so uh, in 2017. But contrary to India, perhaps, where demonetization is in some quarters perceived as macroeconomic mismanagement, China in 2017 is going to be all about stability, all about very effective growth support um, through more infrastructure spending, uh, and some more real estate uh, development. That said, the real estate sector in, in China received strong stimulus in 2016, uh, fueled by a huge amount of leverage and is now at levels that are unsustainable. They're unsustainable for the banking sector, but more importantly, um, housing prices in Beijing and Shanghai have risen by 25-30%. In some parts in southern China, A square metre in a property is equivalent to the annual income of a worker. So people can't afford houses, and that's becoming a political problem. So the government's going to have to try and cool down the property bubble, and that means cooling down a very big chunk of economic growth. Similarly, car sales, which have driven demand growth this year, we've seen over 20 million cars sold in China, which is roughly the vehicle, the car fleet of the UK in one year. That's going to be hard to replicate once again next year. Still, even with that slowdown, we're still expecting over 300,000 barrels a day of demand growth in China. But the big story politically is going to be the political transition at the end of the year, which means that the government wants to keep things stable. It wants to avoid a repeat of early 2016 when markets got very nervous about the currency devaluation, and about the stock market staging a near collapse. the Government will want to stay clear of any kind of reform initiatives like that, um, as it concentrates on political jockeying and on replacing five out of the seven top leaders in 2017. If we bring this together globally,
0: What can we expect about the potential for protectionism? What effect will this have on global trade? And how will China's relationship with the US evolve?
1: Managing political stability is going to be the top priority uh, and at the same time, moderating economic growth without letting the property bubble burst and without having any financial shocks. In an ideal world that might be possible, Uh, but we are seeing a much more contentious external environment for China. Already the arrival of Donald Trump with very uh, contradictory remarks regarding his China policy, on one hand, uh, very close, or on the one hand, reaching out to Taiwanese president Tsai Ing-wen, while at the same time meeting Chinese business leaders is sending very, very mixed signals to China about what it can expect from its relations with the US. At the same time, Trump has announced a very forceful anti-trade agenda and he's not the only one. Brexit in 2016 was also very much an anti-globalisation message uh, and other elections in Europe in 2017 could echo the same kind of sentiment. So even if the US doesn't withdraw from NAFTA or um, or take down the WTO, we are going to see much slower progress on a lot of regional integration uh, and a lot of regional trade programs that had been in the making, such as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, such as the US and the EU's, TTIP, sort of the other big mega trade deal, all of those are going to slow down. For Asia in particular, that relies very heavily on trade for its economic growth, all those present downside risks and china with a very strong export industry will also look at these trends uh, with quite a bit of concern
0: for more on oil demand economics and the potential for trade protectionism please read the brave new world chapter of our world in oil outlook 2017 thank you for listening and we look forward to having you join us next time